Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is the show where we share cutting edge strategies and acquiring leads and sales for your business. And today we have a special guest back on Perpetual Traffic, none other than our VP of Marketing over at Tier 11, Tom Selleck Meredith. Welcome back to Perpetual Traffic, Tom. Aloha and happy to be here. I'm going to stick with the Aloha, make it part of my personal brand. It's your personal brand. <laughs> I see that. You're doing like the Christo thing. You're figuring out your own personal brand. Like, this is me. Like, this is Tom. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I went to Hawaii for spring break, shut off all my text messages from Ralph and just enjoyed myself and <laughs> trying to enjoy that. I didn't know we were allowed to do that. I thought I was contractually obligated to put up with Ralph's text messages. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, even when it's like Thomas silence notifications, I'm like, I still click. I still send it. And then it buzzes, like notify anyway. It goes like that. Yeah. It's great working at tier 11, isn't it? Just you never get a vacation. Hopefully that's not completely true. But anyway, you're back for another episode here. And well, you're the VP of marketing at Tier 11, but also you're the VP of marketing and innovation. We always sort of forget that last part, which I don't think you get paid extra for. But, but today, you are going to be the one that presents our AI nugget tool that you're using. And I don't even know what it is, but I know that we're testing a whole lot of them inside the company. So uh, yeah, lay it on the perpetual traffic listener. What's your AI nugget? Yeah, so my favorite tool right now that I think is not even like super experimental. It just should be standard operating procedure for anybody on the graphic side of the business is Photoshop and their generative fill. I've been doing all the PT thumbnails lately for our YouTube channel. And basically I just take Ralph's head, use the generative fill and come up with random awkward positions for him to be in. There's one of him as a monk. Yes, calm. that was great. I think there's maybe one of me as a minor. There's so much that you can do. I mean, that's having fun with it. On the Marketing Against the Grain podcast, they're talking about how AI's first use is for memes and just talking trash to your friends. But after that, the main use is like really making your job better. And I think this is a really powerful on the creative side of our agency where you can take a product from one of your clients and put it in any scenario you want. You just drop it in, tell it what you want it to do. It could be different scenes, different lighting. You could even put it in the hand of different avatars. Facebook is always talking about having so much creative out there. And we talk all the time about having creative specific to your avatar. Using generative fill can get you really close very fast. You don't have to do any different shoots. All you got to do is know what you want to show and type it in and see what comes out. It's so cool because, I mean, I've seen it. I've never used Photoshop. It's like one of those tools. I was learning every tool in the book up until a certain point, And then I had Trish. She was still on staff, which is awesome. Actually part of your department now. 
And she knew Photoshop and she's gotten really, really good at Photoshop. And it's the one skill I never I was like, this is where I'm stopping learning stuff because I now have to like try to build the business. But I've seen you guys use this. There's tons of demos. We can leave some links in the show notes for YouTube videos to show how this whole thing works. It's really pretty amazing. And all it is, is you're just typing in a prompt, highlighting a specific area of the image and then putting in a prompt. The joke is the meme in AI and for chat GPT is like no longer the blank screen for what you're going to write. Now the blank screen is like, what prompt am I going to give chat GPT to accurately describe what it is I want them to really write for me? So it's a whole different level of blank screen, but it's so cool to be able to see it done. And even the first iteration in some cases, and that guru photo was, he did a real live demo. There was one I'm glad you didn't use. Would have been, my kids would have really enjoyed that one, but I'm glad you didn't use it. I was naked. But anyway, it's stuff like that. And then you just keep clicking and all of a sudden you find the one that is good. It's absolutely amazing. And for people who are using Photoshop right now, how easy is it for them to access it? Do they get access to it on like a regular subscription as far as all that sort of stuff goes? I'm pretty sure you have to download the beta version of Photoshop. So that's where they kind of have the most recent features. It's a very smart move by Adobe by making Photoshop so much more accessible. I was talking to my dad about it. And he still uses MS Paint, but he always comes up with these really crazy things he puts on Facebook and just jokes. And I was explaining to him, like, if he learns just how to select stuff and type in what he wants, he can trick all of his boomer friends on Facebook into believing the most insane visuals out there are true. Yeah. He's like barbecuing in the backyard and in LA with the Northern Lights off in the distance. Like, oh my God, you guys see the Northern Lights last night? Stuff like that. So no, it's really, really cool. And the designers inside Tier 11, most people are using this is my understanding. Yeah, they definitely should be. We're also really deep into ChatGPT stuff, next level, not just basic prompts, getting out generalist answers, but like learning how to prompt ChatGPT to get out really specific stuff that drives actual revenue for our clients. Yeah, sick. All right, well, we're going to be getting into some pretty interesting stuff today. The reason why you're here is instead of wearing the Hawaiian shirt, you should actually be wearing a referee shirt with the black stripes made with the whistle because we're going to be talking about Cosm's favorite subject on the planet, which is squeeze pages in sales funnels, which I know you're wearing a paramedics outfit, Tom, so you can wheel Ralph out of here after I knock him out cold. You better believe I'll use generative AI to (laughs) have whatever outfit I want on. Hubris is one of the seven deadly sins there, Cosm, you know. All right, well, we're going to find out exactly how hubristic Qasem Aslam is about squeeze pages and landing pages right after this quick break. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, 
my buddy Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. All right, we are here with Tom Meredith, Kasim Aslam, and myself, oddly enough, because I'm the one who's doing the announcing. And we're going to get into a little bit of a debate here about something that not a lot of people have talked about. Now, people talked about this years and years ago when Lead Pages came out, which was one of my favorite tools. I loved Lead Pages. It helped me break into internet marketing. I mean, I don't even know when it was. It was like 2011, 2012, 2013. And then obviously ClickFunnels came in and around that time period. And it's now sort of become one of the tools that all digital marketers use with the exception of some who don't really like them all that much. Or a lot of people don't use them who are in the e-commerce space, what we found. And a great way, and we actually have an episode with Molly Pittman where we talked about leveraging these types of pages pre-sale, pre-content, as well as squeeze page, landing pages prior to actually making a sale for an e-commerce brand or a physical products brand. So Tom is here to sort of mediate between myself and Custom because we have very differing opinions on this whole thing. So Tom, as referee, take it away. All right. So I think we need to start with what is a squeeze page. And Ralph, I'll let you define it since you're such the uh, optimist about these you define it and then route, and then Cosm can poke holes in the definition or agree with it. And then we'll use that as our base point for moving on. I think it is a fabulous way of getting first party data from people who are inherently interested in your product and or service, but may not be ready to make the full commitment right now. So they are sent to this page, the squeeze page, which typically has name, email, that's it. And then in exchange for some kind of goodie, some kind of lead magnet, some kind of piece of irresistible content, like a checklist or maybe a download or maybe some kind of SOP or maybe it's a PDF or a short ebook. It can be any number of things, but it's a great way of at least making that initial contact. Then through follow-up, through email sequences, you can allow them to fully convert. So I think it's a great way, a sort of a transitional way in which to engage with customers, especially if your end goal is to ultimately get them to buy something. And if you're doing any sort of digital marketing, chances are you're not doing it just to get emails unless you're an affiliate marketer and that's your thing and you're getting paid by cost per lead or by cost per acquisition. The point is, is it's a great way in which to do that. I think most businesses, if they're smart, have this as a way in which to engage with customers who aren't quite ready to fully commit to you. So I'm a big fan of squeeze pages and landing pages. Cosm, what do you agree with in that or disagree with? Uh, Your Honor, I would like to cry foul. Ralph has already started cheating 
here's how. The squeeze page, technically speaking, is a landing page with no other functionality other than a single point of conversion. So far, that's fair. Yes. Okay. But what Ralph did, I'll point out, Tom, and it's a brilliant sleight of hand, Ralph. I applaud you for your deceit. (laughs) Ralph applied context. He said, when trying to capture contact information, users weren't ready to convert, effectively placed it at the top of the funnel. And as a tool, I don't dislike squeeze pages as a ubiquitous truth. The same way that as a parent, I'm not anti-pacifier. When my two sons were little, 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 I would use a pacifier. Ah, But I wouldn't use a pacifier on a six-year-old. And what I see in the market is people using squeeze pages at the middle of the funnel, the bottom of the funnel. And that's what I am vehemently opposed to. So where Ralph has positioned his argument, I actually have a very difficult time attacking him. This is, what is it, a straw man argument? Is that what we call it? Because I don't disagree with squeeze pages at the top of the funnel. That makes a lot of sense to me. It's when we start to slide down the funnel and we're still staying in the squeeze page paradigm, that's what I think is a massively flawed approach. So I give Cosm the point on this one. Because Ralph took a very business-centric point of view for squeeze pages and not a customer-centric one, which Cosm was alluding to, of it has its point in the customer journey and it serves the customer in a certain way. And it's not about the business, Ralph. Come on, it's about our customers. I'm just talking about, hey, we have a show here for marketers and for agencies and for businesses and CMOs. Let's talk to them first. What it is that they want. Ultimately, Ralph just redefined who the customer is. (laughs) Right. Ralph, you should go into politics. You're good. Well, we have to to create context here. Now, I mean, there are, let's call it what it is, there's potential customers for Solutions 8 and for Tier 11 that listen to this show, okay, ostensibly. But the main point of listening to this show is figuring out how to acquire customers for them. The general public probably isn't listening to this show. So I'm positioning my statement on squeeze pages and landing pages based upon what's best for our listener and how it's advantageous for them. Your middle of funnel approach is an interesting one. I think what you're saying is that how many times do I have to opt into stuff before I can get what I really want? Or is it, I think I need some clarity around your abhorrence for this horrible thing called a landing page, squeeze page. Well, hold on now. And we also can't confuse landing pages and squeeze pages. A landing page is different than a squeeze page. A landing page is just where the traffic goes, be it an internal or index page of the site. Okay, fair enough. But I'll acquiesce to that point. And I'm not trying to win the argument on semantics, you know, defining terms. The problem with squeeze pages is people don't like to be squeezed. So if you're at the extreme top of the funnel, and you have the opportunity to capture somebody's contact information in a way that allows you to nurture them, that to me is actually not a squeezed relationship. Especially because, and this is maybe the crux of the issue, the value of the offer should exceed the ask. You're going to give me your name and your email, and in exchange, I'm going to give you a piece of content generally, but something that's going to be more valuable than the risk you're taking in providing me with your name and your email. As you travel down the funnel, the asks become larger. And now I want you to schedule an appointment with me or demo my software or download my software, for instance, actually put something on your computer or buy. I don't like squeeze pages that are positioned to have people do things that I believe take a longer sales cycle than a single click. So maybe that's the line of demarcation that I'll draw. If you have an offer that can be availed 
One click, one view, one visit. Great. Squeeze page. Awesome. Have at it. If you have an offer that requires thought, evaluation, examination, time, I think the squeeze page will probably increase your short-term campaign performance, but massively decrease your long-term campaign performance. Because what people want to see, especially as the risk to them increases, they want to be able to build a relationship with you, the organization, the entity. They want to see mission, vision, values, testimonials, case studies, customer stories about us, history, background. And the squeeze page allows for none of that. The average e-commerce shopper looks at 30 pages per session. And I might have that data point slightly wrong, but it's at least 30. It might be 30 and change. And I believe that comes from Statista. And I'll include a citation because it's from a talk I recently did at SMX. So I just have it top of mind. But if you think about that for a moment, 30 pages per session, that means they are browsing. Imagine going into Target and you're shopping for t-shirts and you're just roaming around the clothing section and some idiot comes out and then puts a box over your head and says, you've got to watch this video about my t-shirt and you're not allowed to leave until you've watched this t-shirt. And if you, if you do want to leave, then you have to leave Target. That's how I view the squeeze page. I think that we're forcing people to do something that they don't necessarily want to do. I think that squeeze pages worked really, really well when the internet was in its infancy and people didn't really understand the freedom available to them in their browsing behavior. But I think that they've lasted too long. They've been allowed to go too far. And instead of squeeze pages, we should be positioning people in front of landing pages that actually prompt them. It's not the buy I'm going for. I want you to learn. I want you to look around. I want you to watch, listen, download, engage, read, subscribe. And if that means that you're going to different pages, different sessions, different times, coming back, that's fine. That's perfectly fine. But I think the squeeze pages, it's, I got, this word is too strong. I wish there was a softer word for this and maybe you guys can help me. It's abusive. I'm forcing an act out of a prospect that I should be serving instead of asking for. And then the last thing I'll say before I shut my mouth is, it also flies in the face of where AI-driven marketing is going. Google has final URL expansion, which means you don't choose the page the prospect goes to, Google does. And they're doing that because they understand this implicitly, which is people need different information at different phases of the funnel. I think Facebook is about to do something very similar, if memory serves, where their AI-driven marketing is no longer sending you, like if you're selling a product, you're not going to the product page. Facebook's like, they might need to see the How It Works page or the testimonial page. Or a blog. And so the entire concept of the squeeze page goes right out the window in those instances. I rest my case. I disagree. So uh, (laughs) I think you're looking at it as an all or nothing proposition here. A little bit. I look at it as a way to enhance and expand your target audience who isn't ready to commit right now. Now, is it the primary modality? Like I look at every single Atira 11 customer, whoever, hundreds of ad accounts, which we manage, the primary way in which these people acquire customers or any of these customers acquire customers of their own through a squeeze page is, I think, zero. However, they do have alternate ways in which to engage with customers as secondary metrics, secondary pathways. And here's my example. So Great example is longtime client of ours. They sell subscriptions, they sell physical products, and it's in the cooking niche. It's one of the case studies that I think we actually talked about on this show here. One of the things I loved about their business is that they gave at least five to six to seven pathways in which to engage with their brand. The first way is for a free subscription. So you could get a free subscription, but 
for their magazine. The second one was you pay for the subscription. The third way is that you're not ready to get the free subscription, which then bills you on the second month, by the way. But the third way was to download through a squeeze page 12 of their best recipes that oh so just happened to be within the subscription to the magazine that you would get, which is down sale, which is on the thank you page, few pages in. Obviously, we split tested this as well through email sequences, follow-ups. So there's three ways in which they can engage with the brand. And then they had five to seven different individual products that they would sell and then sell the subscriptions on the back end. So things like, you know, sample packs for spices or certain types of knives, or there was like a pan that was a certain kind of coating that was on it, adenized steel or whatever it happens to be. The point was the squeeze page was one modality out of six or seven ways in which to ultimately acquire a customer. The squeeze page was the part that they got hundreds and hundreds, I would have to check, I think it was 373,000 opt-ins for that squeeze page because they weren't ready to make the commitment for the subscription. They weren't ready to actually purchase the subscription. They weren't ready to actually make the buy. So it was one other way in which to take the market and expand it in scale. And we took that business from $23,000 a month in spend to a half a million dollars in spend because of a diversity of offers, which engaged people at different levels of the acquisition path, different levels of skepticism towards what it was that they were selling. And the squeeze page was probably for the most skeptical. But if we backed out those opt-ins through the squeeze page, they actually did make money and they returned after the second and the third month after they were on their list. So it was one way, it was one modality to get a subset of potential customers who aren't quite ready to commit. Not everybody is ready to commit on the first click, but you've already paid for the click. So you might as well get something for it. And now I'm talking to the perpetual traffic listener. It's like if you don't have at least an opt-in somewhere, whether it's a squeeze page or an option for people to be able to exchange their name and their email in exchange for something that's a value. And this is, people are visiting this cooking site. They're obviously, they're interested in recipes. They're interested in cuisine, which is international cuisine. So it's like their best 12 recipes in exchange for a name and email through a squeeze page. Are you kidding me? Why wouldn't you put that on your site? Now, I see a lot of people now doing this through an exit intent pop, which we could even talk about that. I almost look at that as like a sort of squeeze page because it is name and email. Hey, last chance, you can get our 12 most popular international dishes. Click your name and your email. And those people convert ultimately in the longer game. But it's a way in which it's an alternate way. If it's your number one strategy, I don't think that unless you're an affiliate and you're just like trying to get CPLs, which, you know, I'm a former affiliate, so I used to do all this stuff. But the point is, is now I look at it as a part of an overall strategy for customer acquisition, as opposed to a single way of doing it. So maybe I'm agreeing with you a little bit there, but I'm looking at it within the context of the goal of this show, which is to help people acquire more customers. I will call that a tie because you guys did end up agreeing that squeeze pages only, not only work, but are most valuable to the business when they provide more value to some, the customer for giving up their email, both in Ralph's example with the cooking customer, there's a lot of value on the other side of that giving up the email and Cosm's 
strong position that has to be valuable to the customer. Complete aside, but again, for the perpetual traffic listener, we've been saying name and email. Y'all go for a phone number. Go for a phone number and, and ask for an SMS follow-up. As a matter of fact, what I've seen people do really well, and Molly Pittman does this really well, her entire team, you're giving them something of immense value. But if they're willing to opt in via SMS, you'll give them something in addition that's even more valuable. And it's like, hey, we've got a whole SMS sequence on this other thing. If you're interested, opt in because SMS open rates are still 99%. And where emails are getting clogged up, text is just another available channel of communication and it costs you nothing else to make that offer. Are you advocating for squeeze pages? Is that right? Advocating for opt-ins. Because here's what's really funny is the thing that you're saying could be, like you said, exit intent in embedded forms, inline forms. So I agree that there's a utility to squeeze pages that's context dependent. My hatred of squeeze pages stems from the way that they're used. Dude, I don't hate spray paint. If me and my kid are going to go make one of those little matchbox cars that you sell on Little Rascals, like I need a can of spray paint, but I hate graffiti. And I think squeeze pages are the graffiti of the internet. You have all these marketers and all these business owners that just, instead of a website, instead of being content rich, instead of a blog, instead of trying to serve their prospects and their customers and build something out that's robust and meaningful and searchable and navigable, they just throw up a squeeze page. And I think they've overdone it. Can we agree that... A form of squeeze page is the exit intent hover pop, Tom, as the mediator, as the referee here, because that is an underutilized squeeze page because I'm leaving anyway. And maybe I get the 10% off coupon or maybe I get the 12 great international recipes because I'm like, eh, I was thinking about it, but then maybe I don't because it is kind of... And our guys over at Optin Monster, or which we've had them out here on the show, these are great ways to get the people who aren't quite ready to commit yet. Or is that completely off the table here? Because I think it's an alternate strategy that's very underutilized. Can I offer an argument before Tom makes his ruling? We define squeege pages at the beginning as a page that has no functionality or navigation available except one action. True. An exit intent pop always has the ability to opt in or to close the exit intent. And if you close the exit intent, it's not like closing the window of the tab. You're still on the side of the page. So it allows for a little bit more in the way of user-defined navigation. I'm still responsible and in charge of where I go and what I do. But you can still back-click off a squeeze page. You can. Not if you got there from an ad, but I will allow Ralph's definition of an exit intent pop-up being a squeeze page so long as the value delivered is significantly more than the cost of somebody adding their email. I think one of the things that we're not really focusing on is the squeeze page as part of this customer experience. The way you describe the exit intent with getting these 12 free recipes, that's high value. That's starting a good customer experience with somebody who's not currently a part of your list. I feel like we landed in the gray. There's a use for squeeze pages, yeah, but it's not a magic bullet and it's not a spray and pray. You can still X out. It's like you've got freedom of choice. Yeah, but then you lose the prospect. If they leave the squeeze page, you lose them entirely. If they leave a landing page or even close an exit intent, you still have them on the site. The listener, we need you to vote. Go to perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better and tell us who do you agree with 
ignore Ralph's charm and his boyish good looks. Don't allow that to influence you at all. This just needs to be indictment of the truth. I think we've landed. I'm going to say that we've landed. I'm going (laughs) to have we squeezed a result. Have we squeezed an answer out of this, Tom? (laughs) Yes, the juice is worth the squeeze, Paige. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, dad jokes for days. I'm going to say that squeeze pages are essential for businesses, but using the intention that Cosm has put into this with it having to be a valuable part of the customer journey and customer focused and not scammy stuff or later in the funnel where the valued given, like I've gone to so many squeeze pages, opted in and gotten trash back. It cannot be that. If you're doing that, you're doing a disservice to your customer relationship and it's going to be hard to recover from that. So I say squeeze pages survive, and I appreciate you guys debating and Ralph trying to misdirect and cause him bringing it back to facts. It's my job. I will say this, is that if you are going to go the squeeze page route, and I know Russell Brunson says this, and I'm probably just going to rip him off because he ripped it off from somebody else. It's like, make the value that's delivered 10 times the value of the ask. Now, if the ask is name, email, phone number, that better be a pretty freaking good ask in exchange for that information. And I know a lot of, I'm going to say squeeze pages here from like lead pages were always just email for some crappy thing. And then that turns into just a bad lead. It's almost like the more you need to ask, the more you're forced as a marketer to provide value. And I think those 12 recipes for us were incredibly valuable. Go to the tier 11 site, scroll all the way down to the bottom. I know it's not a squeeze page, but it does have a hover pop there. And we also do have a squeeze page somewhere on the site for a guide for a CMO to pick the right agency. Hmm. Surprise, surprise. The point is, it's like those are people that aren't quite ready to engage with us yet. And I think If you're missing that part of your market and your marketing, you might be missing out on new customers. And I think squeeze pages allow you to do that. As a standalone strategy, I don't think it's 100% worth it, which I guess I acquiesce that to Cosm at this point. But as an overall strategy for customer acquisition, I think it should be a part of it. All right. Well, that is our big cage match on Squeeze Pages, moderated by uh, referee Tom. Really appreciate you coming on Perpetual Traffic for a second time. You're now, a, I think, like a four or five time visitor here on Perpetual Traffic, which might make you the most popular visitor ever. Anyway, we'll have to look back in the stats, but we'll leave Tom Meredith links to previous PT episodes in the show notes. Make sure you subscribe and leave a rating wherever you're listening and let us know what we can do better over at perpetualtraffic.com forward slash better. Follow me on LinkedIn. That's Ralph Burns and then Kasim at Kasim Aslam on Twitter. Go back and listen to previous episodes and check out our YouTube channel on Perpetual Traffic, which we will leave a link in the show notes. Just look for the big smiley faces of myself and Kasim on that. And all resources and show notes are available at perpetualtraffic.com. So on behalf of Tom Meredith, as well as my awesome co-host, Kasim Aslam, peace. Until next show, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. 